With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This show may contain adult language and themes. Listener discretion is advised. With that out of the way, let's start the show. You're listening to the Murder Is My Sign podcast, the only true crime astrology podcast, and I'm your host, Jordy Death, here to let your way through the true crime astrology storm. And as always, as is the case now, I guess, from now until, you know, whenever, in studio with me is uh, Mr. Kyle. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, hey, doing good. Uh, could be doing a lot better with all this stupid fucking snow. Yeah, I know. But, you know, summer, winter in Wisconsin. What can yeah. we say? Yeah, and as we are recording this, today is the 14th, so today is actually Milwaukee Day, so happy Milwaukee Day. That's true. It's very good. Yeah, I just saw on the news that Lakefront Brewery was giving away free six packs of beer to uh, medical professionals. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I wonder, if that, I wonder if I count. I don't know. Probably not. But I see that you're wearing the Lakefront Brewery pin on your jacket, oh, yeah. so that's cool. Yeah. I've had that for years. Yeah, yeah, definitely go support lo- your local breweries, especially during this time. So, all right, let's let's just get straight into it, okay? You know, no uh, pussyfooting around. This is going to be, I guess, part two, which is, it's actually technically part three, but it's part two of the events of what happened when the shooting at Columbine happened. Right. When we left off, we really only just covered, like, the first ten minutes of the actual shooting. Yeah. We had a lot of tangents. Yeah, but there was also a lot to crack open. Yeah, there's a lot to kind of it's like... It's been a very stressful kind of discussion. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm more of in like a, I guess, a better mood, a better headspace. I haven't really thought about this much more so just, you know, plugging along, wanting to get through. The, the 21st anniversary is looming just around the corner here. But yeah, it took us about like half an hour or whatever to get through the first ten minutes because, like you said, there was a lot to unload, a lot yeah. of a lot to sift through. So pun intended. Yeah, maybe uh, unintentionally. So, all right. So when we left off, the police were already there. None of the big bombs went off. Were we at the part where they were trading fire from? He was fire. Harris was firing from the school at the cops outside. Were we at that part? I think we were just about to that part. Okay. The five victims outside have been shot. Rachel Scott and Danny Roberger. 
Yeah, butchered. As always, we, we're going to butcher people's names, and yeah. we're sincerely sorry about that. But. Danny R. Um, they've been shot and killed, and there's a couple of other victims outside who have been shot. The EMTs are trying to get to them, and then the deputies have already arrived, and the police force is coming in full, and uh, Eric and the police are exchanging gunfire now. And it only really took them about about 20 to 30 minutes for them to respond once they were notified. Now, we had also talked about hostage situation versus non-hostage. So at this time, the police and everyone is is under the impression that it is a hostage situation. And, you know, I mentioned this in the last episode, but this was like the first major televised, like, American tragedy. And... It was also in the dawn of the cell phone era. So a lot of the students at Columbine, because it is in like a pretty... Affluent area. Yeah, pretty middle class, upper middle class area. Uh, So a lot of the students had cell phones. Yeah, because 99, I mean, cell phones were definitely around, but they weren't... It wasn't like the Razor. It's not like, uh, what are we talking, it wasn't, they weren't ubiquitous like they are now. Right. Um, and pagers, I think, were still pretty much a thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was like the Nokias. Like, yeah. the, those were kind of like the cell phones that were around, the big bricks. Motorola's. Yeah, Motorola's. So, a lot of the students were that had cell phones that were locked inside the school were trying to call the parents, were trying to call 911, and some even called the local television stations which i remember re- i remember hearing that later and i'm just thinking that's crazy i know it how'd you find that number like it's not like it's not like you, you got google on your phone you had to already know that number right um i don't know because in the book columbine by david um cullen he was saying that like some of the students had televisions in their classrooms that were hooked up to the news because they were able to like watch what was happening in real time, like once the TV reporters got there. And it got to such a point that the police officers were telling the stations to stop taking these calls. And so when students would call into the stations, the reporters would be like, you know, we need you to hang up and call 911 again because they kept getting like a delayed type like inner loop which can happen but then also they were getting a lot of false information which is where the the rumor of the third shooter coming in and that kind of happened because in the beginning eric and dylan were both wearing their trench coats right and so now everyone's thinking oh no they're part of the trench coat mafia which technically they got their trench coats after the trench coat mafia at school like the little group of guys who started wearing trench coats after that whole fad passed and so like they would hang out with them but they weren't really a part of it that's another one of those things I remember hearing about later is that a lot of those kids were like like, they were like we played like D&D at lunch like we weren't like yeah they made us out to be like this like super gothy like death worship kids and it's like we just played Dungeons and Dragons at lunch yeah they were like super nerds but like the 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 quiet, you know, just had their core group of friends and stuff like that. So, Eric and Dylan, you know, wore their trench coats, hid some guns within those trench coats, and then Eric was the first one to take his coat off. And Dylan was still wearing his coat. So then that's how they got, like, the third shooter. And then Dylan eventually took out his coat. So then these people are seeing multiple, di- like, quote-unquote, multiple different people assuming that there's more than two shooters. Right. So then that information gets relayed. And it's just this whole thing. So because... The officers are under the impression that's a hostage situation. They're taking their sweet ass time yeah. of going into the school and trying to get these kids out. Which honestly, that based on that kind of thinking, you can't help but blame. You can't 
blame them for thinking in that way at that time. Right, right. And and that was the protocol at the time. Now, of course, because of Columbine and everything that did happen... Um, that is the, the, they, they still implement like the hostage stuff, like when they get into the school, if there's an active shooting, because they, you have to be flexible. You have to read the situation, obviously, but now they have a a better response time and and things like that. I think that's one of those things where it's like, you you know, it's not something you want to look forward to, but it takes a tragedy like this for people to open their eyes to what the possibilities could be out there. Right. And you know, it's. Uh, I'll never ever say it's a good thing, but if there's a silver lining, it's that people are are going to start looking at things from not a black like you know if you if you look at something the same way all the time, you know you're you're doomed for things like this. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to read a brief excerpt from the Wikipedia page about the timeline. Um, this is at the 11:22 a.m. police response. So inside the school cafeteria, teacher Dave Sanders and two custodians, John Curtis and Jay Galante, initially told students to go under the tables and then successfully evacuated students up to the staircase leading to the second floor of the school. The stairs were located around the corner from the library halfway in the main south hallway. Sanders then tried to secure as much of the school as he could. By now, Harris and Klebold were inside the main hallway. Sanders and another student were down at the end of the hallway where he gestured for students in the library to stay. They encountered Harris and Klebold, who were approaching from the corner of the north hallway. Sanders and the student turned and ran in the opposite direction. Harris and Klebold shot at them both, with Harris hitting Sanders twice in the back and neck, but missing the student. In the latter, ran into the science classroom and warned everyone to hide, Klebold walked over towards Sanders, who had collapsed, and tossed a pipe bomb into the cafeteria, then returned to Harris up in the library hallway. So in the book, when Dave Cullen is talking about Dave Sanders being shot, you know, it says that he got shot in the back and the neck. When he got shot in the neck, it went through his neck up his jaw and exited out. So it actually shot, like, exited out his mouth. Mm. So he lost a bunch of teeth. He was then able to get into the science room and this is unfortunately where he will eventually die Mm -hmm. and it would take the officers three hours Mm -hmm. and to get him is that where they put a sign in the window that said like one bleeding to death or something yes yes so when so in the science room i guess this is like kind of like the row of science rooms and i don't remember in your high school but i remember in my high school in the science wing all the rooms were connected by like an inner door inside the classroom so you could theoretically go from one classroom to the next. I, some of the, some of them were some yeah. of the labs, but our school, uh, the school I went to, was not set up quite like that. Yeah, um, like there was a science wing to right. some extent, but like there were some classrooms that were connected and some that right. Were. I'm trying to remember more. Like I think I know they were connected, and I don't know if it was like a classroom in between the big classrooms or if it was more like the like little staging area where the teachers would get all the equipment. If it was like chemistry, or biology, or physics, or whatever. But anywho, one of the students in this classroom that Dave Sanders had crawled into goes and tries to find anyone who's first aid trained. So I think there's like one or two students who were Eagle Scouts that come forward and try to and try to help him. Well, I mean, I, I've never been in the Eagle Scout. I was in the Girl Scouts. They don't teach you shit about first aid. But uh, maybe they do now. But back in the day when My I was. My dad was an Eagle Scout. 
Yeah. Oh, that would that makes sense. Well, they they train you on how to like set bones and fractures. They don't train you how to deal with gunshot wounds. At least back in 1999 and earlier. I'm sure perhaps the training now is different. But I mean, some parts of first aid are universal. I mean, if you're bleeding from a, a if you had a bad bad wound that's bleeding, you apply pressure. You mm-hmm. know, like. You, you know, unless it's going to be a danger to a person's neck or something, you elevate the you elevate the wound right. above the heart. Right. So maximum pressure. All, all this, thing. yeah, all this knowledge that you know, um, these students try to apply to help Dave Sanders. Yeah. Um, the the, the um, male students would take off their shirts and rip it off into bandages and tourniquets. Um, they would try to apply the pressure to the wounds and stuff like that. And um, they found a blanket, and they ended up wrapping him up in this and just trying to keep him warm. And then, yes, as you had mentioned, someone uh, took a whiteboard and broke the window and wrote one bleeding to death. And then the media copter helicopters would circle around and focus on that. Yeah. And so this was all playing out. Yeah. And so the students knew that Dave Sanders was in bad shape. Dave knew he was in bad shape. Uh, one of the students goes and grabs his wallet and starts flipping through and starts seeing the photos that he has. He has a photo of his daughter and his wife, a bunch of all these great photos. And, you know, they're trying to like, Dave, you have to survive. You have to pull through this. And then he got really quiet and very cold. And he just told him, it's like, tell my kids I love them. And so when the SWAT team eventually goes in to the school and into this wing, because it took them, I think, about three hours Mm -hmm. for them to clear up the school as soon as they got in. And Harrison Cleveland killed themselves around noon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're we're getting right up to their deaths pretty soon. When the SWAT team got to that science room that Dave Sanders was in, Dave was still technically alive. Hmm. However, because of the protocol of the SWAT and triage... They had to leave him behind. And when the family found out about that, they were fucking livid. And rightfully so. It's one of those, yet again, you can see it both ways. It's like, do these cops, you know, they don't know if the building's safe. You know, are are more people going to get shot while they're trying to get this guy out of the building? It's like one of those, it's like, I don't, there's no right answer. Right. But the students were fighting very hard to try to get him out. They were, they're trying to plead with the SWAT members. very popular like he wasn't he like a teacher that everybody loved or something like it was one of those like everybody loved that he guy. he was one of the coaches um he was a softball coach and yeah he was a very much beloved teacher um the principal um uh, mr d was also very beloved and he has a big part after the aftermath and everything like and he tried incredibly hard to get as many students out as possible yeah. during this whole ordeal even going out and then back into the school to get yeah. more students out so yeah, that is the very tragic story of Mr. Dave Sanders, the only faculty member to have been shot and killed during this. Now we're at about 11.29 through 11.33 a.m. This is where the library massacre takes place. As the shooting unfolded, Patty Nielsen, this was the teacher who... So the thought... It was kids playing paintball or yes. airsoft rifle. Yes. And somehow only realized that it was a real gun. Not by the sound of the gunshot, but by the large hole in the window behind her. Yep. Which is crazy. Yep. Everything about that is insane. Yep. You see a kid with a gun in this in a school at any period of time. Like, oh, what kind of, what are they shooting a video? I think I remember reading that one time too. It was like yeah. she thought they were shooting a video or something. Yeah, or they everyone thought it was senior pranks because it was April and you That's know insane. Yeah, and the the senior class even in the nineties that was insane. Yeah, yeah, fucking crazy. So Patty Nielsen, when she finally realizes that this is for real, that there are 
people shooting up the school. She runs to the library. And this is where she she's urging all the students in the library to take cover underneath the desks. Which and, sounds good. In but... theory, but this will come back to haunt her. Yeah. So this is where... If they had a recurring loop playing of audio, it was usually her clip yeah. because she called 911. And so she called the 911 operator at 11.25 a.m. And 52 students, two teachers, and two librarians were in the library. A bomb was thrown down the library hallway by Eric Harris. At 11.29, according to reports, Klebold entered the library first, followed by Harris just a few seconds later. Harris yelled, Get up! When no one responded, Harris fired his shotgun twice at a desk. Student Evan Todd had been standing near a pillar when the shooters entered the library and had just taken cover behind a a copier. Todd was hit by a wood splinter in the eye and lowered back, but was not seriously injured. He then hid behind the administrative counter once Harris and Klebold moved. The shooters then walk into the library towards the two rows of computers. Disabled student Kyle Valaquez was sitting at the north row. Now, in the Newsweek article that was printed, like, uh, two weeks after this, all the families had given a little bit of information about, like, their loved one that had died, with the exception of Kyle's family. So I had to do a little bit more research about Kyle, and he was special needs, um, but his parents loved him a lot, and he was a very, he loved doing chores, he loved being with his family, um, but I think it sounded like he suffered either stroke or some brain damage around birth. Okay. And he he had literally just moved and had started going to Columbine about a month or two prior. No shit. Yeah. That's, wow, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's maybe tough. the saddest thing you've told me thus far. Yeah, it, it's fucking terrible. So Klebold fired his shotgun twice at Kyle, fatally hitting him in the head and back. The shooters put down their ammunition-filled duffel bags at the south or lower row of computers and reloaded their weapons. They walked between the computer rows, towards the windows facing the outside staircase. They, especially Klebold, began shouting and speaking to all the students in the library. Throughout the massacre in the library, they ordered everybody in the library to get up and said the library was going to explode. They stated how long they had been waiting for this and seemed to be enjoying themselves, shouting things like, Yahoo! after shooting. Like, remember, they were saying, like, this is awesome, this is everything that we'd ever hoped for. So they, they were really feeding into this. They repeatedly ordered the jocks to stand up. One of them said, anybody with a white hat or a sports emblem on it is dead. So this is where the whole thing with um, Eric and Her- Eric and Dylan hating the jocks comes in. Yeah. And actually, a couple of the students that they killed were jocks. Yeah. Wearing a white baseball cap at Columbine was a tradition among sports team members. Nobody stood up and several students tried to hide their white hats. Noticing that the police were evacuating students outside the school, windows were shut out in the direction of the police. Officers returned fire, and the gunmen retreated from the windows. No one was injured. I don't think they injured any of the police officers at all during this whole thing. I don't remember about hearing about any cops. (sighs) They were actually terrible shots. Like, long-distance-wise, they were terrible shots. Eric and Dylan. Well, I mean, it's to be expected. They had pretty shitty... I I mean, first of all, they're probably very inexperienced with guns yeah number one number two 
they had really shitty inaccurate guns. Right, yeah. That they made more inaccurate. They would go to, like, the gun range prior to this, yeah. but I don't know for, like, how long they would try to practice, but... Um, so it was at this time that they were in the library that Dylan removes his trench coat. Uh, he shouted for the jocks to stand up, and when no one did, he said, fine, I'll just start shooting. And then he fired his shotgun at a nearby tail- table, injuring three students. Patrick Ireland, Daniel Steppleton, and Makia Hall. Harris then walked toward the lower row of computers with his shotgun, firing a single shot under the first desk from a short distance away. While down on one knee, he hit 14-year-old Stephen Currow with a mortal wound to the neck. He then walked closer, got on one knee, and shot under the adjacent table, injuring 17-year-old Casey Rusenjagger with a shot which passed completely through her right shoulder, also grazing her neck and severing a major artery. When she started gasping in pain, Harris tersely stated, Quit your bitching. Harris walked over to the table south of the lower computer table, slapped the surface twice, and kept saying, Peekaboo! Peekaboo! Minus the echoing of my boom stand here, but that's, I'm not going to lie, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah. 17-year-old Cassie Bernal was under that table, and he shot her once in the head, killing her. Harris had been holding the shotgun with one hand at this point, and the weapon hit his face in recoil, injuring his nose. He actually broke his nose mm. because of that shot. He told Klebold he had done so, and Klebold responded, why'd you do that? So Cassie Bernal, you know, if, if people remember anything of Columbine, they remember, like, the whole story of she said yes. And that was falsely attributed to Cassie Bernal's death because people having false memories of the events. Right. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but she's the one who has, like, the songs written about her, the books written about her. She was basically made to be a martyr. Yeah. Even to this day, people still believe that. But I really encourage you guys to read the Columbine book because it really sets the record straight on that. Not to say she wasn't, you know, a devout Christian and her faith was not very important to her. You know, it said in her final moments she was praying to God, but she was not the person who said yes. Yes to what? Eric and Dylan would ask some of the students, like, do you believe in God? Oh, okay. Yeah. And someone said yes, and then he shot them. Mm. That was not Cassie. That was a different victim. Mm. After fatally shooting Bernal, Harris turned toward the next table, where Brie Pasquale sat next to the table rather than under it. Harris's nose was bleeding. Witnesses later reported that he had blood around his mouth. Harris asked Pasquale if she wanted to die, and she responded with a plea for her life. Harris laughed and responded, everyone's going to die. When Klebold said, shoot her, Harris responded, no, we're going to blow up the school anyway. So they had big faith in their bombs going off, which at this point, I mean, they had expected their car bombs to go off already, and they never did. So (laughs) wouldn't you think like, wait, well, we fucked up this bomb and that bomb didn't go off. Well, but you're, you're talking about people thinking rationally. Clearly these, they're, they might've thought rationally about what they intended to do, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's yeah. That's very that's very true. Yet again, though, I'm not a doctor, so what do I <laughs> yeah. know? Klebold noticed Patrick Ireland trying to provide aid to Hall, who had late who had suffered a wound to his knee. Ireland tried to help Hall. His head rose above the table. Klebold shot him a second time, hitting him twice in the head and once in the foot. Ireland was knocked unconscious, but survived. Klebold then walked toward another table. Hmm. Is that the is that the the kid who uh, he had brain damage to his speak language centers and like yes. he couldn't like 
couldn't so, speak properly. So he's he, he's the student from the name. He's the student from the window, and we're about to get into that. Oh, okay. Because he's going to be the one who's going to escape out the window. Right. Um, and he's doing fine these days. I mean, he still has mild seizures, I think, but he he survived, and he has a family, and you know, he's yeah. he's he's for all intents and purposes, he's doing okay. Okay. God, this is depressing. I know it is. So as Ireland, why are we doing this to ourselves? Because I thought it would be a great idea to do season two as killer couples and deadly duos. Well, no, no, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I mean, like, this is something worth discussing. Yeah. Because it's one of those things that should not be forgotten. No. And it's something that happens a couple times a year, every year. Yeah. I just read this really sad statistic. Now, granted, this was, like, on Facebook, so I don't know the accuracy of this. But it said that this was the first March since 2002 without a school shooting. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So, well, that's really fucking sad. So as Ireland tried to help Hall, his head rose above the table. Klebold shot him a second time, hitting him twice in the head and once in the foot. Ireland was knocked unconscious, but survived. Klebold then walked toward another table where he discovered 18-year-old Isaiah Scholes, 16-year-old Matthew Ketcher, and 16-year-old Craig Scott, Rachel Scott's younger brother. Who they already killed. Yes, she was already dead outside. Yeah. They were all hiding underneath a table. Klebold called out to Harris that he found the, I'm not going to say it, but the N-word, Isaiah Schultz, who was the only black student to be killed. Um, and he tried to pull Schultz out from under the table. Harris left Pascal and joined him. According to witnesses, they taunted Schultz for a few seconds, making derogatory racial comments. The gunmen both fired under the table. Harris shot Schultz once in the chest, killing him, and Klebold shot and killed Ketchler. Though Scholes was not shot in the head, he said, I didn't know black brains could fly that far. Meanwhile, Scott was injured, lying in the blood of his friends, feigning death. Harris then yelled, who's ready to die next? So when you're shot with a gun, especially in the head, your your brain matter is going to fly everywhere. And when blood and brain matter dries, it turns into a very dark, rusty color. Now, brain matter is gray, in appearance and when it dries it's like cement it's very hard to get out so i don't envy anyone who has the job of actually cleaning up like crime scenes and stuff like that there are some really fascinating documentaries on that did you learn that when you were working in a funeral home well i learned that a little bit from working in a funeral home but then also honestly from reading columbine Mm. and then also just general curiosity from watching the documentaries on crime scene cleanup yeah um, but it, it would make sense. Like any organic tissue, when it when it's like liquefied and then dries, it's going to be incredibly difficult to get out. Right. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, though, if you get fun fact, fun fact. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you get blood, your own blood on a on a garment, like so, um, say you cut yourself and you bleed on your T-shirt, it's just like a little thing, small thing. Blood in itself can be very hard to get out, but if it's your own blood, if you spit on it. It will dissolve it, and it will go away. Yeah. I actually did know that. Yeah. So for all my lady friends out there, that's very good knowledge. <laughs> gross. I know it's gross, but that, that has saved me. Okay, mustard, man. What are the things you hate most? One, mustard. Two, uh, period blood. <laughs> Three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, see, we're finding some levity in this darkness. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, great. <laughs> let's talk about period blood. Uh, yeah, let's... Uh, let's get let's, back to the shooting. Let's just, let's just finish this. <laughs> this, is, this is rough. Yeah, this is rough. All right. I'm going to have to watch, like... We're gonna have to watch a lot of kitty videos. I don't like, know what the hell I'm gonna have to watch. Yeah, I'm gonna need some. Uh, I'm gonna need some eye bleach later. <laughs> ear bleach too. Oh, my ear balls. All right. So getting back to it. So after killing Isaiah Scholes and injuring um, Craig Scott, Eric Harris yelled, "Who's ready to die next?" Eric turned and threw a cricket at the table where Hall, Stepleton, and Ireland were located. It landed on Stepleton's thigh. Hall quickly noticed it and tossed it behind him, and it exploded in midair. Harris walked towards the bookcases between the west and center section of the tables in the library, jumped on one, and shook it, apparently attempting to topple it, then shot at the books which had fallen. Klebold walked to the east area of the library, where Harris walked from the bookcase past the central area to meet Klebold. The latter shot uh, at the display next to the door. He then turned and shot toward the closest table, hitting and injuring 17-year-old Mark Kington in the head and shoulder. He then turned toward the table to his left and fired, injuring 18-year-old Lisa Krutz, Lauren Townstead, and Valine Schur with the same shotgun blast. Klebold then moved toward the same table and fired several shots with his Tech-9, killing Lauren Townstead. Now, at this point, the seriously injured Valine Schur began screaming, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And in response, Dylan asked Sher if she believed in the existence of God. And when she replied, she, she said yes. And he was like, why? God is gay. And then Dylan reloaded, but then walked away from the table. So she's the one who said yes. She actually ends up surviving. Harris approached another table where two girls were hiding. He bent down and looked under the table and dismissed them as pathetic. Harris then moved to another table where he fired twice, injuring 16-year-old Nicole Nolan and John Tomlin. Tomlin moved out from under the table, and Klebold shot him repeatedly, killing him. Harris then walked back over to the other side of the table where Townsend lay dead. Behind the table, 16-year-old girl named Kelly Fleming had, like Brie Pasquale, sat next to the table rather than beneath it due to the lack of space. Harris shot Fleming with his shotgun, hitting her in the back and killing her. He shot at the table behind Fleming, hitting Townstead, who was already dead. Krutz again ended up shooting her again, and then wounding 18-year-old Jenna Park. The shooters moved to the center of the library, where they reloaded their weapons at a table. Harris then pointed his carbine under a table, but the student he was aiming at moved out of the way. Harris then turned his gun back on the student and told him to identify himself. It was John Savage, an acquaintance of Dylan's. He asked Dylan what they were doing, to which he shrugged and answered, killing people. Savage asked if they were going to kill him, possibly because of the firearm Killen said what? Savage asked again whether they were going to kill him. Klebold said no and told him to run, so he fled 
escaping through the library's main entrance. Hmm. So I think that was like the only person besides Brooks Brown in the very beginning before any of this started that they told to run Hmm. or get out of there. After Savage Savage had left, Harris turned and fired his carbine at the table directly north of where he had been, hitting the ear and hand of 15-year-old Daniel Mouser. Mouser reacted by either shoving a chair at Harris or grabbing his pant leg, and Harris fired again and hit Mouser in the center of the face at close range, killing him. Both shooters then moved south and fired randomly under tables, critically injuring two 17-year-olds, Jennifer Doyle and Austin Eubanks. Eubanks? I'm so sorry for the mispronunciation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Eubanks. Eubanks. And then fatally wounding 17-year-old Corey DePooter. He was the last to die in the massacre at 11.35 a.m. So there were no further victims, and they had killed 10 people in the library and wounded 12 of the 56 hostages. 34 remained unharmed. Investigators would later find that the shooters had enough ammunition to have killed them all. At this point, several witnesses later said that they heard the shooters comment that they no longer found a thrill in shooting their victims. Klebold was quoted as saying, maybe we should just start knifing people. That might be more fun. They moved away from the table and went toward the library's main counter. Harris threw a Molotov cocktail toward the southwestern end of the library, but it failed to explode. Harris then went around to the east side of the counter and Klebold joined him in the west. And they converged close to, to where Todd had moved after being wounded. Klebold pulled the chair out from the desk, then he pointed his tech nine at Todd and commented, Look what we have here! Harris asked, What? Klebold responded, Just some fat fuck. Todd was wearing a white hat. Klebold asked if he was a jock, and when Todd said no, Klebold responded, Well, that's good. We don't like jocks. Klebold then demanded to see his face. Todd partially lifted his hat so his face would remain obscure. When Klebold asked Todd to give him one reason why he should not kill him, Todd said, I don't want trouble. Klebold responded back angrily, Trouble? You don't even know what, what fucking trouble is. Todd tried to correct himself. That's not what I meant. I mean, I don't have a problem with you guys. I never will, and I never did. Klebold then spoke to Harris. I'm going to let this fat fuck live. You can have him if you want to. Harris, apparently not paying much attention to the exchange, looked at Todd, then back at Klebold and said, Let's go to the commons. Klebold fired a single shot into the open library staff break room, hitting a small television. While Harris was walking away, Klebold said, Wait a minute, there's one more thing. Then Klebold picked up the chair beside the library counter under which Patty Nielsen was hiding and slammed the chair down on top of the computer terminal and the library counter. Klebold joined Harris at the library entrance. The two walked out of the library at 11.36 a.m. Cautiously, fearing the shooter's return, 29 uninjured and 10 injured survivors began to evacuate the library through the north emergency exit door, which led to the sidewalk adjacent to the west entrance. Casey R. was evacuated from the library by Craig Scott. Casey would likely have bled to death from her injuries. Patrick Ireland, unconscious, and Lisa Krutz, unable to move, remained in the building. Patty Nielsen crawled in the exterior break room, into which Klebold had earlier fired shots and hid in a cupboard. So now it's 12.08. Or it's just leaving up to 12.08. After leaving the library... It's 12.08 when they killed themselves? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so it's just before then. (laughs) After leaving the library, 
uh, Eric and Dylan entered the science area where they caused a fire in an empty storage closet. It was extinguished by a teacher who had hidden in an adjacent room. The gunmen then proceeded towards the south hallway where they shot into an empty science room at 11.44 a.m. They were captured on the school security cameras as they re-entered the cafeteria. The recording shows Harris kneeling on the landing and firing a single shot towards one of the propane bombs left in the cafeteria. It was an unsuccessful attempt to detonate it. As Klebold approached the propane bomb and and examined it, Harris took a drink from one of the cups left behind. Klebold lit a Molotov cocktail and threw it at the propane bomb. They left the cafeteria at 11.46, several seconds after the Molotov cocktail exploded. About a minute later, a a gallon of the fuel attached to the bomb lighted, blowing out a few windows and causing a fire that was extinguished by the fire sprinklers a few minutes later. One of the things that one of the survivors says that she remembers most is that once the fire alarm went on it remained on for the entire thing yeah and i think it it didn't go out until like nine o'clock at night oh wow because I, I don't think anyone on the SWAT team could like find someone to like deactivate it yeah and this alarm i mean obviously if you've been in any fire drills at school oh they're loud as shit they're loud as shit you can't hear anything yeah. and that that sound alone i think would be very triggering for people yeah you know, having PTSD after all this. So after leaving the cafeteria, they returned to the main north and south hallways of the school, shooting aimlessly. They walked through the south hallway into the main office before returning to the north hallway. On several occasions, they looked through the windows of classroom doors, making eye contact with students hidden inside, laughing and taunting some of them, but never tried to enter or shoot in any of the rooms. They taunted students hidden inside bathroom, making such comments as, We know you're in there. Let's kill anyone we find in here, but never attempted to enter the bathroom. At 11.56 a.m., they returned to the cafeteria and briefly entered the school kitchen. They returned up the staircase to the cell hallway at 12 p.m. They re-entered the library, perhaps to watch their car bombs detonate, one of which had been set to explode at 12 p.m., and both of which had failed. The library was empty of surviving students except for the unconscious Patrick Ireland and the injured Lisa Krovitz. Once inside, at 12.02, they shot through the west windows at the police, who returned fire. Nobody was injured in the exchange. By 12.05, all gunfire from the school had ceased. Oh, let's read these names real quick, because I want to do it. I'm trying to get their names right. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Like, to, yeah. Sure. So, so the, the list of people that were killed. Okay. So the total deaths in order of sustaining fatal injuries. So we got Rachel Scott, 17. Uh, Daniel Rorbo, 15. William David Sanders, 47. Kyle Velasquez, 16. Stephen Kernow, 14. Cassie Bernal, 17. Isaiah Scholes, 18. Matthew Ketcher, 16. Lauren Townsend, 18. John Tomlin, 16. Kelly Fleming, 16. Daniel Mauser, 15. Corey DePuder, 17. I, you know, I mean, whether we got those right or wrong... Yeah. I think it's important that we... Yeah, make no, abso- absolutely. Absolutely. I hope none of their family or anybody that knew them is, is hears this. I highly doubt it. This is such a small podcast. But, but Well, but that's what I mean. But I mean, if one of them ever does, it's like, you know, I hope you know that, like, I don't even know what to say. I hope you know that even 21 years down the road, after all this, this is still... I mean, we're talking that's about... That's why we're talking about it is because what happened to these kids right. is something that happens 
all the time. Right. And it's like these, it's sad, but these kids are just statistics now. Right. And like they were statistics even then. Right. And 20 years later, we're still talking about it because the, the list that just keeps adding more and more children. Yeah. And like, even though you and I, you know, joke occasionally or make light of stuff, I mean, that's just how we have to cope with this because this is still an incredibly hard thing to talk about. Well, I mean, oh, believe me, I have a severely dark sense of humor. Yeah. I mean, I worked with prisoners. I worked with right. severe prisoners for a long time and it's just... We've already talked. Yeah, that's we, how you we, deal with it. Yeah, that's yeah. we covered that before. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's into this, I feel, it has to have a dark sense of humor. So by twelve oh five, all gunfire from the school had ceased. By twelve oh eight, both gunmen had killed themselves. In a subsequent interview, Kreutz recalled hearing a comment such as, "You in the library?" Around this time, Harris sat down with his back to a bookshelf and fired his shotgun through the roof of his mouth. Klebold went down on his knees and shot himself in the left temple with his Tech 9. An article by the Rocky Mountain News stated that Patty Nielsen overheard them shout one, two, three in Union just before a loud boom. Just before shooting himself, Klebold lit a Molotov cocktail on a nearby table underneath which Patrick Ireland was lying, which caused the table to momentarily catch fire. Underneath the scorched film of material was a piece of Harris's brain matter suggesting Harris had shot himself by this point. And this part's really fucked up. In 2002, the National Enquirer published two post-mortem photos of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, mm-hmm. showing both teenagers lying on their backs and the guns in seemingly curious locations. This led to speculate that Harris shot Klebold before killing himself. The photographs were taken after SWAT had checked the bodies for bombs and booby traps. Mm-hmm. And the placement of his blood and baseball cap suggests that Dylan fell first down on Harris's on Eric's legs before uh, expiring on his back. A total of 188 rounds of ammunition were fired by the perpetrators during the massacre. Eric fired nearly twice as much as Dylan. He fired his carbine rifle a total of 96 times and discharged his shotgun 25 times. Dylan fired his Tech 9 handgun. 55 times, and 12 runs from his double-barreled shotgun. Law enforcement officers fired 141 times during the exchange of gun fired with the shooters. So now the shooting's done, the killers have killed themselves, and this is when the whole SWAT... I mean, so the SWAT had been going in and trying to get people out, but no, this is kind of like... SWAT team still doesn't know that they're dead. Right. Which is why it took them so long to get to Dave Sanders and a lot of other people. By 12 o'clock, SWAT teams were stationed outside the school, and ambulances had started taking the wounded to, um, to hospitals. A call for additional ammunition for the police officers in case for a shootout came at 12.20. Authorities re- reported pipe bombs by 1 p.m., and two SWAT team members entered the school at 1.09, moving from classroom to classroom, discovering hidden students and faculty. They entered the end of the school, opposite of the library, Hampered by old maps, unaware of new wings had been recently added. They were also hampered by the sound of the fire alarms. Yeah. So the fire alarm really fucked up a lot of things, too. Well, I th- this is a perfect storm for just a bad things to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just really is. And, and it sucks that this happened, but, you know, if it wasn't for this, it would have just been a different school, a different shooting at yeah, a different no, no, time. It, that's what's disgusting, is that if it, hadn't, if it hadn't been them, it would have been somebody else. Yeah. But what, what's even more, I think the, the, the shittiest legacy is, like, now kids want to be these kids. Yeah, they idolize That's them. That's what's even worse about yeah, it. Like ma- they, makes my skin they, crawl. They, got, they sickly got what they wanted. 
yeah. to be remembered. Right. And, they, and they're going to be remembered forever. Well, and it, and it pisses me off, too. It's like, you, people need to stop fucking idolizing. The media needs to fucking stop idolizing these shooters by stop giving them the front page. I mean, look at that the, Newsweek article. Like, you open up the page, it's got a fold out of, like, all the kids, you know, the, and then you pull it. It's got a full, you know, it's got his, his like, senior photo of Eric Harris, like, you know, a whole full page spread. Yeah. It's like, why the fuck did you give this kid a whole fucking Right, page? and they, they give all the, the victims like a tiny, tiny like, like, yeah. two, like a one by two inch photo. Like, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. They, like, they got, that's what the crazy part is, they got exactly what they wanted. Right. And then here we are talking about them. 20 years later. We're Which, exact, we're part of it. We are, unfortunately. It's like this, but it's like, it's like, but I don't remember it because I want, I don't remember this because I want to remember those two pieces of shit. Yeah. I want to remember, like, you know... You got to remember these things happen so that they we don't happen again. Yeah, and we're just and that's the the crazy takeaway. So it just happens a bunch of times a year. Yeah, it's, I don't know. That's fucking really shitty. That's why this is so depressing. <laughs> yeah, we are we're almost done with this no, episode. I know. Okay, so while the SWAT's going in and getting all the students out and stuff, um, Leewood Elementary is the place where the families of students and staff were told to gather there um, to await more information. So all students, teachers, and school employees were taken away, questioned, and offered medical care in small holding areas before being bused to meet with their families at Leewood Elementary. Some of the victims' families were told to wait on one final school bus that never came. There's a whole chapter on that in the book, and it's really fucking sad. Because eventually, like, the, the parents kind of start to see, like, everyone else leaving, and then the 13 students there. Um, because at this point, um, Dave Sanders' wife is at home. Yeah. So then you have 12 families there at the school, you know, just told that there's, like, one final bus. And what's really sad is as you read the book, Cassie Bernal's parents just refuse to believe that she's dead. Mm. Absolutely refuse. Well, there's still one more bus. There's still one more bus. Because it's something to hold on to. Right. So when they heard the whole story of her being like, she said yes, a martyr, they held on to that. And they, like, that is what gave them hope. That's what gave them closure. And the fucking clergy flocked on that. And they made her into a martyr. And it wasn't until the reports of, like, um, Emily... And Valine, Valine was the one who actually said yes. Right. And Emily was the one who was there. Um, there was this, um, it was Craig Scott who had the false memory of right. Cassie saying that. Which is like, can you really blame him? I mean, can you imagine all that shit happening in your, you know? Right. But for Emily and Valine, their lives were living hell. Not only because of the PTSD and everything they just survived, but people would attack them for basically defaming Cassie's memory by saying that she didn't say that. Right, yeah. So they were they were attacked, they weren't believed. Basically everyone told them to shut up, give the Bernals this this moment. And it wasn't until this book well, I mean, the news came out later down the road. And then Cassie Bernal's parents, her mom, wrote a fucking book called She Said Yes. Hmm. The band Flyleaf wrote a song called Cassie. Which is actually a really good song. I do like that song. But yeah, there's this whole myth, this whole martyrdom surrounding her. And yeah, she was very um, avid. A lot of these students, like this big community, was very devoutly Christian. And a lot of these students, you know, went on mission trips and things like that. So religion was a really big part of them, uh, was a really big part of their life. But it's just like, 
you get, and we can completely relate this to like our current media. Like you get one nugget of information, whether it's false or credits, but it just takes off because it sounds good in the media. Oh yeah, that's, that's plenty of that. Yeah. So here's where we come to Patrick Ireland escaping through the window. Okay. Patrick Ireland had regained and lost consciousness several times after being shot by Dylan. He was paralyzed on his right side, but he crawled to the library windows where on live television at 2.38 p.m., he stretched out of the window, intending to fall into the arms of two SWAT team members standing in the roof of the emergency vehicle, but instead fell directly into the vehicle's roof in a pool of blood. He became known as the boy in the window. They were later criticized for allowing Ireland to drop more than seven feet to the ground while doing nothing to try to ensure he could be lowered to the ground safely uh, or break his fall. I remember after that saying that the cops were telling him to, they were telling him, like, we're here to help you, don't, right. don't come out. But I, and I don't, people didn't know at the time is that he had literally brain damage in, yeah. in the language centers of his brain. Absolutely. It's, it's not even sure whether he understood what they were saying. Right. And and so in his whole chapter in the book, that's that's exactly what's being recounted, is that the, the SWAT members could not move fast enough to right. get to Patrick. And he had such a hard time going in and out of consciousness, like, understanding what was going on, and it took him years to, like, regain back his speech I want to say, things like, like that. I want to say, like, he had, like, a shotgun pellet went through his yep. skull, Yep, right? I think, and, and according to the book, it's still in there. They oh, couldn't wow. remove it. Um, he's getting better with his speech and everything, um, but he was getting so frustrated during his rehabilitation because um, of the inability to walk right away, and because he was also shot in the foot. Yeah. The doctors... Because he had paralysis, right? Or he had, like, a, like paralysis on one side, right? Or he could not feel that his foot was broken. I remember right, reading that. Right, right. And so, like, when the doctors finally got him to the hospital, they did not bother to fix his foot because they said that he would never walk again. Well, he's walking. And, but because they never fixed his foot, he has to, he's going to have to, like, use a cane or mm-hmm. wear, like, a special shoe for the rest of his life. But I suppose when you got when you got somebody shot in the brain, yeah. fixing their foot's not exactly the first like right. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like fixing the brain is. Well, the hospital that he was also taken to at first was not designed for that kind of case. It was right. more of like a, like a an emergency type hospital, obviously. So then he was eventually um, transported to Craig Hospital, which is um, renowned for the ability to help through these kind of situations to help patients regain the ability to walk or you know right. a lot of intense physical therapy. At 2.15 p.m., students placed a sign in the window, one bleeding to death, in order to alert police and medical personnel of Dave Sanders' location in the science room. Police initially feared it was a ruse by the shooters. A shirt was also tied to the doorknob at 2.30, and this was spotted. And by 2.40, SWAT officers evaluated the room... I'm sorry, at 2.40, SWAT officers evacuated the room of students and called for a paramedic. Hansi and Starkey were reluctant to leave Sanders behind. Those were the two students who were trying to help him. Right. By 3 p.m., the SWAT officers had moved Sanders to a storage room, which was more easily accessible. As they did so, a paramedic arrived and found Sanders had no pulse. He had died of his injuries in the storage room before he could have received medical care. He was the only teacher to die in the shooting. Yeah. And to this day, like his, his family is still pretty upset because you know obviously if they would have gotten to him sooner he probably could have survived yeah, but at the same time and it's one of those this is not to downplay any of the victims deaths and this isn't this is not making excuses for the cop the police but it's like if you don't know for sure that there's nobody else in the building you know what i mean it's like there's no right answer there like like yeah i don't you know it's like 
and honestly, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy for us twenty years later to say, "Well, this is what they should have did, or what they right. should have did." But it's like, but who I, knows what the hell they were and, what they were doing? You know what? I just, I just, I don't ever, I don't ever want to be in that kind of position. No, 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 no. don't ever want to be in that kind of position where I know I could have saved someone, or and having all those what ifs because those are that's the shit that's going to eat you alive. Well, that's one of those things where it's like, if you've ever had situations come up where somebody's life is in danger, it's like you got to do what you can. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So once the school was completely evacuated, Kruitz was finally evacuated at 3.22 p.m. along with Patty Nielsen, Brian Anderson, and the three library staff who had hidden in the rooms adjacent to the library. Officials found the bodies in the library by 3.30, and by 4, Sheriff Stone made an initial estimate of 25 dead students and teachers, 50 wounded, and referred to the massacre as a suicide mission. And then um, U.S. President at the time, Bill Clinton, issued a statement. So then, because there were so many bombs everywhere, the bomb squad had to go in. So Stone said that the police officers were searching the bodies of the gunmen. They feared that they had used their pipe bombs to booby-trap corpses, including their own. At 4.30 p.m., the school was declared safe. At 5.30, additional officers were called in as more explosives were found in the parking lot and on the roof. By 6.15, officials had found a bomb in Klebold's car in the parking lot set to detonate the gas tank. Stone then marked the entire school as a crime scene. At 10.40 p.m. that evening, a member of the bomb squad who was attempting to dispose of an undetonated pipe bomb accidentally lit a striking match attached to the bomb by brushing it against the wall of the ordnance disposal trailer. The bomb detonated inside the trailer, but no one was injured. The bomb squad disrupted the car bomb, and Dylan's car was repaired, and in 2006 was put up for auction. It's fucking crazy. Oh, people love shit like that. Somebody owns... Hitler, so, the steering wheel from one of Hitler's cars, like the limousine yeah. that John F. Kennedy was killed in. I'm pretty sure that was so Oh, yeah. There's this whole racket where you can buy serial, serial killer memorabilia, yeah. which is fucking crazy. <clears throat> so we're going to wrap it up here. Oh, thank you. Next episode, we will get into the aftermath, like the immediate aftermath yeah. of what had happened. And then um, I think we'll just kind of keep that maybe a little bit short and then just get into like the astrology part of it. So, but the big thing I need everyone to remember. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's 10... Uh, what did I say? It was uh, 10.40, almost 11 o'clock that night. Yeah. The bomb goes off. The bodies of Rachel Scott and Danny R. are still outside. Yeah. And the bodies of the 10 students that were killed in the library, along with Dylan and Eric, are still inside the library. I'd also like to point out that no one bothered to cover Danny like, and Rachel's I think bodies. That's, I, I think that is, of all the things, that's the most... That's, the thing that's unforgivable. Yeah. It's like in a situation like this, I kind of got to leave the evidence. I mean, it's a horrendous thing to say, but they're evidence now and you got to yeah. leave them where they are. Yeah. But you at least cover them up. Yep. I think that's the, of all, like, it, it, it's not my family member and mm-hmm. I would want them picked up right away. Yep. You know what I mean? But to not cover them is really... It's disrespectful. It, it, it's not, I wouldn't, it's, it's just, it's an oversight of the highest magnitude. Yeah. Really and I'm speaking from someone who used to like go to scenes right. and pick up bodies. And I'm saying that is completely lack of sight and it's completely disrespectful, not only to the, to the deceased and to the family and parents of the deceased, but for those who are actually watching this shit on television, right. you know, yeah. and, and the whole fucking media should not have been as up their ass as they should have been because of that whole thing. But, um, well, I mean, fast forward to now, it would just be cell phones and camera phones. Yeah. And, 
Absolutely. Twitter. Absolutely. You know, I remember I mentioned this in the last episode about one of the parents who literally was Columbine was in their back room. Back room. Yeah. I believe that was the family of Cassie Bernal. And then, like, when they finally. When they were standing on the roof. With, yeah. With binoculars. Yeah. So, his when they finally got home, the dad went onto the roof or the shed of the roof or whatever with his binoculars. And this was, like, at 11 o'clock at night because he could hear the boom yeah. go off. And he knew his daughter was in there. He just didn't know where. Yeah. And so, like, that was, like, something that was very heavy on their hearts. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So. All right, so this is where we're going to stop for this episode. I think we've talked long enough about this hard subject. Um, We will pick up next week. Actually, you know what? Um, The anniversary of Columbine is coming up here um, on the 20th. So we might be doing a special episode about that, um, maybe more so talking about, like, the memorial services that were held, you know, and honoring the memory of the 13 who died. Um, I still have a hard issue with that because Dylan and Eric are still dead. Yes, they perpetrated it, but they were also you know, kids of, you know, they still had parents. So it's a very conflicting thing. But you know what? We will, I think, talk about that more. I think those are, yeah, it's definitely something we can talk about next time, but realistically, you know what I mean? Rightly or wrongly, they still had people that loved them, even if they didn't give that love back or they didn't feel that love in return. Right. For, especially from one of them rather than right. Same thing with all the other serial killers that I've covered. Yeah. So... All right, guys. What a piece of shit you are. There's always going to be somebody out there that usually there's at least one or two people out there that care about you. Yeah, hopefully. So, all right. Well, on that note, on that note, guys, um, I hope you guys are all taking care of yourself during this very strange time. I know I keep saying that, but really, just make sure you take the time for self care and all that jazz. Thank you, guys. Not so just for your physical health, your mental health as well. Yeah. Turn off the news. Get off of social media for a little bit. Go read a book. Reread a book. Do something creative. Get the brain juices flowing do something active if you can oh wait and you know and if you need somebody to talk to please don't hesitate to look up your local crisis hotline absolutely you know, and it, there's always going to be somebody there that it's their job to talk to you to make to try to help you absolutely and, and every county every city has a number and it's one google search away yeah. You know, get some help. Yeah. Please. And Or, you know, look up the suicide hotline if you definitely need someone to think, of, uh, talk to if, if, if it's getting really bad. But just know that there are, there are resources out there for you. You are you are a valuable, worthy person who's worthy of, you know, being heard and being loved and being respected. So um, really, if you guys are struggling, make sure that you reach out and so that way you can start getting the help that you need, okay? Because your voice matters. And on that note, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening and um, for supporting Murder is My Sign. If you want to reach out, you can always follow me on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all at Jordy Death. That's J-O-R-D-Y Death. You can always email the show directly at murdersmysignpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure that you are sharing Murders My Sign with anyone you can, any way that you can. You can find this podcast anywhere that you get your um, podcasts or on your favorite podcasting app. If you want to go above and beyond and support the show financially, you can always join the Boneyard at patreon.com backslash murders my sign become a death head or a boneyard backer just like my patrons uh, michelle jake holly and crystal so thank you guys so much for all your continued support it really means the world to me but yeah we will catch you guys next week for the memorial episode of columbine and then wrap up the series uh next friday and I'd like to add that the uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, also the National Crisis Line, is 
It's the national crisis number anywhere in the United States. Absolutely. I think they even have a number that you can text now too. So, and on that note, guys, really just please make sure that you take care of yourselves, okay? And until next time, rest in peace.